All right, welcome everyone to Telecom Radio One. And we are continuing our series titled Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we are talking, um, we're talking SD-WAN, but before we get into this, I want to introduce our two nerds, Jason Gintert and Doug Edmonds. I hope you guys are okay with me calling you nerds because you're popular. And guys, I'm going to give you um, a chance to really, you know, introduce us, introduce yourselves and tell us why you're so popular. But, you know, Jason, I know you like potato chips. You're the potato chip connoisseur. And, and we'll get to that in a second here. But Doug, why don't we start with you? Doug, give us, um, you know, just give us kind of where you started, what your title is and, and what you do today. And we'll go from there, man. All right. Sounds good. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Doug Edmonds. I'm the director of IT at Summit Design and Engineering Services. We are a, a mid-sized but very rapidly growing firm based here in central North Carolina, sort of in the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area. Um, and I've been with Summit as IT director since October of 2017, after a 20-year career at, at UNC, uh, where i Served in multiple roles in IT throughout my career there, starting off as a sort of a lowly IT temp at the School of Education, working with the Mac LC computers in our little resource lab, and then working my way up as the as the campus network matured, became a system admin, and then director of IT before becoming the assistant dean for IT at the law school at Carolina Law for the last 11 years of my career there. So had a long run in uh, in this game, but it was it was a big jump out to the private sector that I made with Summit in 2017, and I've got uh, no regrets. Awesome, man. So, just for other people listening out there, one of the one of the key themes for the show that I like to touch on all the time is is business acumen and how you grow in IT. But you know what? First of all, how did you get into IT to begin with? And I guess one, you know, what was it? Was it were you, was it a problem as a kid that made you want to get into technology? Was it something really cool that happened to you? What's the story there? Is there any cool stories? Well, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you that at UNC, uh, the IT, central ITS, and also the different professional schools IT departments are heavily populated by, um, by both working and frustrated or both musicians. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I count myself among those. I've been a lifelong musician, a rock and roll guy, I played in bands since I was 14 years old. And when I started my so-called career in IT at, at UNC, I was touring in a band and that was really my main focus. So I had gone through a lot of, you know, even though I went to college and excelled at UNC and got a degree with highest honors, blah, blah, blah. I, I really was investing a lot of time and effort in, in you know, making music and performing and writing songs. And uh, the job in IT, to be honest, I just kind of stumbled my way into it after taking a lot of sort of service industry jobs and dead-end kind of jobs that allowed me to go on tour. And when I started at the university in IT, part of what I loved about it right from day one was that it was a constantly changing environment. I never wanted to be like a desk jockey or somebody that was doing something repetitious. And I think IT has always appealed to the creative part of my mind. And so I think that's why a lot of musicians and creative types end up in, in technology, frankly, because uh, it sort of plays on that sort of instinct and also the creative, creative impulses. Um, I've, I've you know, learned a lot, obviously, since those early days when I really didn't know anything because I was not a kid who grew up with a computer in the house. And you know, my dad was a biologist. We didn't have a computer back in the day. And um, so it's been a real interesting tra trajectory for me career-wise, but uh, uh, that's kind of how it all came together. 
that's nice to know that you didn't grow up with a computer because a lot of people, their stories are, no, I grew up building computers. I grew up doing this. I grew up that. So the fact that you didn't, um, that's actually really awesome. You're the first person that's actually said that, that I grew up without a computer. Uh, so awesome. Now, so fast forward, we've, uh, we've done you, your comp- the company that you're, you're heading up right now in the IT department is growing really fast. We've done some, some big changes and Jason's been involved in one of them on the SD-WAN, on the SD-WAN piece and really kind of connecting all your locations together, making sure that we can communicate effectively. And what, what was the, I guess, where was the bottleneck there? What, what was the, the problem that we were dealing with on the network as far as maybe just give us a general, like the landscape of the network and, and what was going on and the problem that we needed to fix? Yeah, well, it was kind of twofold. Well, I think when I first reached out to you, Phil, we had a situation where our um, our existing uh, phone system was isolated to two locations, and it was um, connected through an old-fashioned, you know, point-to-point bridge, and um, it was an aging system, and we were, as a company, growing uh, so rapidly and had so many other field offices, some of which had upwards of, you know, 20 people in in them, but they didn't have phones. So I know that part of my initial outreach to you was for telecom purposes and just moving to a VoIP platform that was, you know, both cost effective and easy to use, easy to set up. And we, we made that vendor selection first. And then we started talking about the problems we were having with, uh, site to site VPNs that were, built out through our existing firewall infrastructure and the latency problems we were experiencing with our engineers and and designers and architects trying to open large CAD files. So that really became the primary problem that I was really trying to solve in my first year here. Um, And in order to address that, that problem, I knew that we needed to sort of, you know, pave the highway, so to speak. And and uh, get a better network infrastructure in place that uh, would would decrease those those bottlenecks and and really allow us to communicate office to office much more effectively. Um, so that was when we started talking about SD WAN. So enter Jason. So we talked. We actually went through quite a few different um, iterations and or providers and looked at a bunch of different solutions. Um, you know, not all Velo Cloud, but then really kind of niching down, getting into a, a, a more niche Velo Cloud. Velo Cloud, please, which is which is why we have you on the on the call today, Jason. So why don't you give us, um, Jason? Give us just you know, I want your background story as well. Did did you have a computer growing up? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Phil. And I did have a computer growing up. Actually, that's that was my I, uh, I had a, a Commodore VIC twenty was my first computer. <laughs> and I remember I, the funny thing is that there there is a little bit of a, a parallel with Doug because I've always been into music too. The first thing I tried to do with that VIC twenty was write a song with with peak and poke statements and basic to actually create <laughs> nice. on the on the VIC twenty. And I actually remember like I I, I the basic program got so long. A VIC-20 had five kilobytes of RAM. And so I, I spent hours writing this song, right? And it was all done and ready to go. And then the, the, I just got an error back out of memory. And that was it. Like, there wasn't enough memory to save it. There wasn't enough memory to do anything. And I was just uh, so distraught. But I spent a lot of time on that on that box. And, uh, and you know, I can't came from a house where technology was 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 part of the, the household culture. Like my dad, he was a field engineer for a company called Honeywell, and um, yeah, I always kind of grew up around it. But I kind of took uh, a, a you know 
like Doug said, I actually uh, spent my high school years and uh, what what should have probably been college years uh, skateboarding and uh, playing in punk rock bands, and then I <laughs> I landed a job at, at a dial up ISP in 1999. So I was doing dial up tech support and just kind of stumbled into IT. Um, and and took it from there. So, you know, I, I started working with that ISP doing dial-up tech support. And uh, I think I learned, you know, how in a lot of, uh, you make your way into a career and you, you learn all the things to do. I think I learned more, like the more important things I learned was what not to do uh, in late 90s telecom and uh, learned a lot <laughs> during that era and uh, took those, those uh, skills forward, you know, worked in the ISP world for, uh, a number of years until three years ago, we founded WAN Dynamics and became a, a managed services company. So we um, we, we provide managed SD WAN, managed um, managed security, and really help folks manage cloud connectivity. Apps are moving to the cloud. You know, uh, Doug's is a good story of of trying to make their their uh, IT and and uh, uh, communications environment more efficient, and more effective. So as folks are moving those services to to cloud public cloud based services, the the connectivity models have to change, and a lot of the the traditional t- telecom uh, connectivity uh, options like MPLS, they're migrating to a more um, fluid and and more uh, modern type of connectivity like SD-WAN. And that's that's our job is to help guide folks like Doug and and Summit into into those new paradigms and make sure that that it's custom built for their environment. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things they get missed with a lot of offerings these days is they're, they're too cookie cutter uh, and they're, they're not um, built to fit the organization. So um, we focus, we spent a lot of time with Doug and his group and you know, great people to work with. And, and um, I think we've, we've collaboratively built a pretty cool solution for them. Well, let's, let's rewind just a second there. Cause you hit on a lot of points. I think some that are very, very important in, in uh, they're important to, to distinguish specifically in the telecom world, because when you say managed service provider, a lot of times people think managed IT or outsourced IT, and that's kind of what we're talking about, but not really. What we're talking about is um, a telecom provider, which when we say telecom, most people don't know this. It means voice data cloud, right? But when you say telecom provider and the fact that you work for an ISP and you learned what not to do, all of this thing culminating together into what you're calling as managed service basically means we're really giving you support that's not dumb in response. Because uh, in the telecom world, I don't know what the statistics, I actually do know what the statistics are, but it's something like 33% of America says that telecom has the worst customer service. Now, whether that be you know, mobile devices, you know, whether that be calling, um, I won't name any names here, your local cable company and asking them to help you, um, or whatever it is, the, the support's not quite there. And that's really where you come in and have made a big difference. Now, to address the cookie cutter piece too in the MPLS, I'm not going to go out there and say MPLS is dead, but from a small business perspective or a mid-market perspective, MPLS really is as a site-to-site on-net VPN or managed VPN or whatever you want to call that version of MPLS, in my opinion, um, is dying very fast for two main reasons. It's too expensive and it's too slow. 
And I would add a third one, their apps don't live on a private network anymore. They're in the cloud. So it's, their, their apps aren't in an MPLS network. They're, they're on, a, on, on the internet. So that's, the, that's what I would say is the third, a third and huge driving factor, at least with a lot of our customers, is that they've got an initiative to move to Azure or they've got an initiative to move to AWS or you know, Google Compute Platform or maybe it's Office 365. They don't need that MPLS, that that wholly private network, as much as they used to. Now that said, I agree with you. MPLS is not dead, and there's many like we have. We've come across many organizations, uh, like for example, call centers. A call center that says, you know, I've got an on-prem phone system, and I'm going to be doing that for the foreseeable future. Say they've got a call manager, Mitel, or Avaya-based system, and they say we're sticking with that for the foreseeable future, and we want to go, you know, all all in with internet circuits everywhere. I say, no way. There's no way you should do that. You should keep at least <laughs> one MPLS circuit at every single one of those key locations. And maybe you don't need dual MPLS anymore, which is what a lot of those call centers utilize mm-hmm. today. But you can go to you know one internet circuit and one MPLS circuit, but still layer SD-WAN over top to figure out the best path to take you and um, make sure your performance is maintained end to end. But completely agree. And plus, plus resiliency, plus you know, you know, disaster avoidance, plus uptime plus all those other things you're going to get from what you just said. Exactly. Okay. Um, sweet. That We got a little nerdy on that. That was great. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, back to, okay. So back to, back to kind of the problem we were dealing with. Uh, you said CAD documents. You had site to site VPNs. So obviously when we're dealing with CAD, you know, a three meg MPLS circuit point to point is just not going to cut it. Right, we're not going to we're not going to you know share files of, of significant size on a three meg circuit. So we did a little bit of a of a different solution where we really upgraded to you know fifty or hundred meg fiber at each site and then connected to them. And I'll let you maybe um, maybe Jason just speak for a second about you know what or or Doug either one of you it doesn't matter which um, when you first saw the solution what was the initial kind of uh, what was the initial thing, the initial thoughts and how we kind of, uh, I guess, attacked that problem? I can take that. Yeah, I mean, and then I'll ha- I can hand it off to Doug. I'm, th- I would say that, that we noticed that it was a high bandwidth utilization environment and they, they exchanged a lot of data uh, around locations. So that was a, a big, a, a very important thing to them. So some of the, the uh, bandwidth aggregation properties of SD-WAN seemed very attractive. And then the, the whole voice component and tying that in, making sure that voice was prioritized and worked appropriately. I mean, we, we saw that as, as being, being, you know, a prime objective here to make sure that, that all of that, all of those pieces fit, fit together and, um, and really help them uh, um, make the most of their infrastructure. Okay, cool. So how do we do it? Well, I, I can, you know, speak to the strengths of working with um, Wind Dynamics on, you know, implementation and planning. It was, uh, we had determined, first of all, you know, sizing, correct sizing of the VeloCloud devices that we were going to be deploying at different sites. And we identified where we needed high availability and where we didn't for smaller, much smaller satellite offices. Um, and then it was just a matter of working through, you know, the geographically dispersed locations that we're talking about because we're, we're really spread out now over the entire state of North Carolina, which is, you know, pretty broad from, from the Tennessee border over to the, to the sea, you know, to the, to the Atlantic Ocean because we're all the way down in Wilmington and all the way out in Asheville 
and then heading north up into parts uh, in Virginia, southern Virginia and central Virginia, the Richmond area. And uh, that's pretty much the area that we've got covered right now with future plans to expand down into South Carolina and maybe up into West Virginia. I mean, we're, we're, we want to, again, I wanted to pave the highways and get the bandwidth in place so that once we, um, so that A, we could have um, better capacity. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line is that we needed more capacity. We had, you know, maybe single circuits at all these locations and mostly just broadband. And I think that, um, it was just the company was growing so fast. And since nobody was in an IT director role, there was nobody really driving the strategic planning uh, of IT and looking at it from 30,000 foot view of where do we need to be three to five years from now. It was always, you know, plug your finger in the dike and stop the latest leak and put out the latest fire over here and over there. And, you know, that was, that's no knock against the people that were here before me. They were just overworked and there weren't enough IT people. Well, that's, and let's stop there because so, that's, yeah. Yeah. that is a key, a really, really key piece for people out there listening, right? Because a lot of, I, I find by whatever it is, even now, like this year, right? There's a certain percentage and this is in Gartner was, was quoting this you know, percentage of, of IT directors, IT managers, definitely CTOs, obviously, that are, it's something like 95% of them are going to have to have some level of business acumen proficiency by, by now, basically. It's, I think they said 2020, but we all know that that's immediately right now. So right. um, a lot of people get stuck in the engineering mindset and they think, well, I'll just go to Cisco. I'll buy this, you know, Meraki device. It's got SD-WAN built in. I will be very tunnel vision about this and I will link the sites together and, you know, we'll do it this way. And um, not necessarily always knowing where to begin and what are all the options out there. WAN Dynamics was not the only option we looked at. I don't need to talk about all the other proofs of concepts that we went through and fired to the curb that just didn't work. Um, but we right. ended up going with, we ended up going with WAN Dynamics for for an ex for a certain number of reasons. A, the you know the the cost structure was the same and or similar. Plus, you get you know Jason and his whole his whole team to support you. So you ended up with a whole level of resources to support you. Um, and and you know Doug, you not being you know the arrogant IT leader that's very tunnel vision that says my entire team has to have our hands on it and do it ourselves. You're you know very open to allowing other smart people to provide you free support, uh, free support to right. grow. You know what I mean? Um, because that's, right. that's a benefit is, you know, just, you know, more people that you don't have to pay for. You don't have to hire anyone to do this. Um, right. But there's some other pieces out there for, for SD-WAN and people that might not be familiar with it. Jason, why don't you kind of just walk us through the different flavors, right? Because there's obviously equipment to equipment SD-WAN type of thing, like a hardware solution. There's cloud solutions. There's 100% cloud solutions. There's, you know, a mix. There's various different, uh, you know, software types. And maybe just break us down real quick the various different ways you can do SD-WAN and, and you know, why you think the solution here was the best one. Sure. There's a lot of flavors. I think last last time I looked, there's there's somewhere around 60 different vendors that claim to have some sort of SD-WAN. And I would I would implore anyone who's considering an SD-WAN solution really do your homework. Uh, not all, all SD-WAN solutions are created equal. And there's a lot of marketing hype. Uh, you know, seeing as this 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 market is expected to explode uh, over it, right now, it, right now we 
are seeing the, the, the hockey stick, the beginning of the hockey stick growth curve. Um, it, it is really just, just exploding. And every, there's not a single company out there that doesn't have some sort of uh, SD-WAN initiative out there to explore it and start to do discovery. And, and actually, I think I saw somewhere that around uh, 30% of domestic companies now are either deploying or exploring uh, an SD-WAN solution for themselves. So um, there's a lot of options out there. We selected VeloCloud early on. We've been a VeloCloud reseller for coming on four years now. And early days were rough, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it takes a long time for, the, for these things to come along and for the software to develop. But it's really a mature product now. And with, with it going mainstream, I think the timing is right uh, you know, for it to really succeed and do well. But you know, in Doug's case, uh, the, the VeloCloud solution seemed to be the best because of, the, of a lot of the cloud service options they were going with. And in particular, I think that um, VeloCloud handles voice the best. I mean, they really have thought long and hard about how the technology works over the wide area network and with cloud applications and uh, spent a lot of time fine-tuning the actual what's called SD-WAN overlay itself to um, present WAN remediation techniques that overcome packet loss, that overcome jitter buffer, you know, uh, has jitter buffers to overcome jitter. Um, and really very quickly steers around performance problems on networks. So for voice, it is just, I still think it's the best solution you can find. As far as the, the types of flavors you can find out there. And, um, and just to kind of get a little granular there, I mean, you're talking about things like forward error correction and duplicating packets. So that if one got lost, the secondary packet is there. So you're not getting in talks and weird things while you're talking on the phone and stuff like that, correct? Precisely, precisely. And VeloCloud was one of the first to the market with that, that type of functionality. So they're really good at it at this point. I mean, there's a few diff- other vendors that, that do some of that as well. And then there's others who, who just, you know, they, they have basically a WAN failover and they call it SD-WAN. Uh, WAN failover with a controller that, you know, centralizes, uh, centralizes control. It, in it, other words, very glorified, glorified load balancing. Correct. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yep, yeah, gotcha. There's a lot of those out there. Now, Doug, just from your perspective, or just you know, logging into the VeloCloud portal, um, obviously, uh, WAN Dynamics is really the white glove VeloCloud support, right? Anyone could go out and do this, but you, you know, like you said, do your research. You'd have to learn. It, it would be like a whole another go back to school for a year to do this whole thing. Uh, that's why Jason exists. Um, but Doug, just right. from your perspective as an IT director, logging into the portal and some of the tools that you have, um, what are you using it for? You know, just, I guess, for information and stuff, other than just making sure your network stays up and, and you know, your engineers can, you know, work and, and, and employees and end users can work and be efficient. But as far as the portal from your perspective, uh, what do you think? Well, first off, one of the things that sold me on WAN Dynamics was the, was the user interface and just, well, not to mention the, the collegiality and just the sort of collaborative support um, that they provided throughout the implementation phase. They were always very flexible. We had a lot of rescheduling due to, you know, some, some personnel issues on my side that, that needed to, you know, be worked through. And they were always very accommodating with that. Um, they were always very knowledgeable if we had technical questions. Um, but for me as an IT director, you know, I, 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 I'm jack of all trades, master of none. I, I've never gone down one, you know, path to be 
become certified, you know, CISSP or whatever, or, you know, I have a broad overview of what I want to accomplish and I need to hire people or have people on my team that have the requisite knowledge to make those things happen, whether it's a network engineer or a, you know, classroom AV guy when I was up at UNC or whatever. And so with, with, uh, Wind Dynamics, what I felt I had was a almost like a, an additional team member who wasn't on our payroll. You know, it's like you say, it's value-added services. And I didn't see that as much with some of the other companies that we that we did a proof of concept with and their technology just wasn't as good. I didn't, you know, we, I think we all agreed. So um, what I use it for on a day-to-day basis is, uh, I'll give you a real-world example. When we first had... Um, when we first set up the dual circuits and the high availability locations uh, and, and, you know, Jason or rather uh, one of Jason's uh, employees was, was working with um, my guy, my network engineer, who's also named Jason. Um, they had to work through some kinks of routing phone traffic. Um, you know, we have a, we have a different uh, provider for our VoIP platform and, the way that they work is they're looking for phone traffic to be coming from specific IP addresses. And by, you know, stitching together the Velo clouds and creating a high availability network, we, we had to be thoughtful and mindful about uh, what IP address was being advertised to, you know, the phone vendor and where that traffic was coming through, whether it was coming through the fiber circuit or the uh, cable circuit, the broadband circuit. And, you know, not being a network engineer, I could still immediately wrap my mind around all that stuff and set up a business policy. It was really easy when I watched, you know, Josh from Wend Dynamics do it. Um, there were several occasions where we had some issues with phone traffic uh, because of a business policy not having been set. And I was able to go in there and pretty quickly uh, duplicate a business policy rule from a different site um, or create one from scratch, knowing what kind of routing needed to happen. So again, if the user interface were clunky and difficult to manage, then I, I wouldn't have had that. I wouldn't have had been able to do that without my network engineer. And so, uh, to me, it's like having you know an additional team member in a way that's that's doing a lot of the thinking and uh, lifting a lot of heavy weight uh, with without me having to watch over it every single day. Yeah, that actually brings up a really good kind of like a ninja ninja tactic or point um, that you get through cloud and SD-WAN and this is where you come in, Jason, just the ability to turn up, you know, what are some of the, like, I guess just the, I guess, what are some of the secret tactics? What are some of the benefits of, of, you know, your platform that you can do, like turning up a VPN, for example, or turning up a new site? Um, Maybe just speak to that for a second, Jason. Sure. Yeah. I think the VeloCloud platform is really, really good at, creating dynamic VPNs, dynamically controlling uh, traffic and, and the policy across it. And, um, you know, it is excellent for that. And I think that what when Dynamics brings to that is, like Doug said, is, is a more concierge-based approach. So identifying what the business needs and translating that into the configuration and policy building that we're building into the VeloCloud. And we also have gotten really good at, at, at custom reporting. Um, so actually, Doug, you don't know this yet, but there's there's a new performance report that's coming out this the, in May that you're going to get every month. It's going to tell you the the you know your 
the bandwidth utilization at each of your sites, the uh, top talking applications across your enterprise, your top bandwidth users, um, if you've had circuit outages at, at, at locations and, and which ones. Um, so it's that kind of value that we bring. It, it's getting, it's squeezing more out of the VeloCloud platform than you have natively. So uh, building out right. scripting and and uh, and knowing it inside and out. We, you know, we have guys that that are actually. We just went to the the VMware Empower event on SD WAN, and it was kind of funny because our guys were actually you know stopping the, the presenters sometimes and correcting them on things that that you know <laughs> that they were wrong about on the VeloCloud platform. Mm. Spent so much time on it. That's so cool. yeah, yeah. So not only that, it allows you to just you know clean up your network. I'm, I'm assuming you know a lot of times. When you don't when you don't know what you don't know, you throw more bandwidth at the problem, um, and that's not always the solution. So, I mean, you guys, you can you're going to provide actual visibility into every you know every user and how they're using applications, and actually give them the ability to shut down application use as well or control it at least uh, to clean up your network and uh, provide a more efficient network. There are some customers that they don't even so much care about the win remediation or the load balancing or the failover. Believe it or not, those aren't the driving factors. It's the fact that they can, on a dashboard, see what is happening in their network. And we had one customer. Yeah. Yeah, here's an example of one customer. It was like a one one visit close, and the customer saw it. it we we put it in uh, in one of their sites. They realized that sixty percent of that site's bandwidth utilization was was YouTube, and the way they found out why it's because their their it was it was a factory. Their users would come in in the morning. They would build their playlist and let it stream all day. And there was there was hundreds of people that were doing that all day long. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, I was going to use the term. That's a great anecdote because I was going to use the term visibility um, earlier, and I didn't. I don't think I said it out loud, but I was thinking about that when I was speaking to the strengths of the user interface and how easy it is to navigate. I mean, having greater visibility into our network was a huge uh, win for me once we implemented because before, you know, we had all these individual switches, you know, Zixel switches, some Meraki switches, some were smart, some were kind of dumb. And I couldn't really have any kind of visibility into traffic and bandwidth utilization and uh, quality of service. And, you know, with the, with the, the solution we have in place now, uh, again, uh, since I don't have a deep bench, I don't have a big IT team, um, I can quickly and easily kind of log into the orchestrator and see what the network, how the network is behaving and sort of quickly identify problems as they arise or as, as we get a ticket, if we get a ticket that seems to be related to a bandwidth issue or some sort of SMV bottleneck, I can kind of rule out several things before um, wasting too much time. And in the past, I would have been chasing my tail trying to find just the visibility into the network. Awesome. The I, I want to ask you this, Doug, just for everyone else out there listening to and because uh, this is really supposed to be a peer-to-peer podcast where IT directors are sharing uh, various different tactics and or best practices. I'll ask both of you guys this. Um, what do you think is the single most important factor to your leadership success as an IT director? 
And that could be anything. It doesn't have to be tech. Obviously, it might not have anything to do with technology whatsoever, um, you know, based on, you know, because, hey, you didn't have a computer even growing up. But no, honestly, um, what's the single biggest, most important trait you would say that, that contributes to your success? I can answer that immediately and very easily. And that is one word, communication. I have found throughout my career that <clears throat> speaking in clear sentences and not talking techno babble at people who don't understand it um, is a huge differentiator for me. And one of the ways that I've excelled in my careers from the time I was just a lowly sort of tier one tech support technician, I don't, I shouldn't say lowly, but that's where I started, you know, was, yeah. was just in the trenches, you know, and, and doing break fix kind of stuff. But from there to the point of being promoted to a sysadmin and then fairly quickly into a director role, a lot of that was because I'm a people person. Now, I'm not saying that every IT director has to have, you know, be a people person or be outgoing, but it sure doesn't hurt. But what helps me tremendously is my ability to think clearly, to think creatively, um, and to communicate upstream and downstream. I mean, you've got to have it going in both directions. If you're good at talking to the C-level people, but not to the people that you manage, then you're, you're, it's not a good equation. If you can manage up and, and be a good leader to the people who are on your team, but have lack the skill set to communicate your solution ideas and your, and your vision to the C-level to the people, then you're also not going to be in a great position. So I think it goes both ways. And you've also got to maintain a sense of humor to just keep your own sanity intact. I mean, it's an incredibly stressful um, position for a lot of people that are in a director role in IT. You've got security concerns. You've got end users pounding their desks for help. And, and it's, it's like you're always taking bullets. So you've got to have a thick skin. But communication for me is really, really the key. <laughs> you're always taking bullets. That's a good visual. <laughs> That's yeah. or not or not a good visual. I don't know. Yeah, not um, a good visual, especially in this day, day in this day and age. But I mean, not to be too literal about it. But you really are. You take a lot of flack, and you often hear more complaints than than praise because you know when everything's going well, you don't hear about it. But when something's broken, you hear pretty loudly from your end users. So you know you have, that's. Give me a come on. Give me. There's got to yeah. be some trick. There's got to be some. What, do you have one line that works really for good? Good for you. Do you have any like one liners or, or anything to make people smile? Because I used to tell. I was a sales director for a long time, and I got out of direct sales. Um, but I used to always tell my my direct sales reps. Are scary, I mean, it's, it's a scary job. Like going out when you're in direct sales and you first start out in college, you got to go talk to 50 strangers a day, and most of them are going to say no soliciting to you. Most of them are going to slam the door in your face, get the hell out of here. You know, I hate you. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of that. So I used to tell my sales reps, I just get them smiling. That's it. You just got. You just got to remember, like that. We're, that we're all humans out there. Just get them smiling. Do you have any like one-liners or anything that works really well for you? I mean, I find you know, can I ask your advice on something with end users works really well. Like an IT director goes, hey, can I ask your advice on something? People love to give advice. So, um, I mean, that would be my one trick. You know, just ask people, can I ask your advice on something? But do you have any one-liners or anything that works really well? One of my favorite go-to one-liners is, I hate technology. <laughs> that immediately takes the air out of the room. Because when they think, oh, the IT director's coming in here, he's going to tell me how to do something. He thinks he knows better than me. And I totally deflate the situation by saying, oh, I hate technology. And then they laugh. And I'm like, so what's the problem? 
you know, and, and then I, uh, if I get to know the people, which I often do, you know, as I get to know my end users and my customers, because that's, that's what I consider all my fellow employees. There are customers. Mm-hmm. But when I get to know them, then I'll often tell that story of, you know, look, I didn't, I didn't grow up using a computer. The first computer I used was, you know, I, I wrote an honors thesis as an undergrad at Carolina and I, and I hired somebody to type it. That's, that's showing my age a little bit. But, you know, it's like we, we were just getting into having computer labs on campus when I graduated as an undergrad. So, you know, and when you're, whether you're dealing with a young person or an old timer who, you know, hates technology, it, it, it makes them, it gives them some comfort level knowing that the IT guy is not going to sort of lord over them and say, well, this is the way you got to do things. I think that really helps. Mm, great. Uh, I'd love to hear what you say to the, to the millennials. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just saying, so you know, you're smarter than me. Um, could you help me out with my job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's other one-liners you can use than "I hate technology" with the with the uh, millennials, but uh, that's a different conversation for another time. Uh, I mean, what, what about you, Jason? You got any thoughts there? Any, any tips or tricks? Or I mean, what do you think? I I, I totally agree with Doug. I, I mean, I uh, so often try to. to there's so many people who try to solve business problems with technology when the, the, the fundamental root cause of the problem, it has nothing to do with it. So it's usually, um, you know, a cultural or a process based issue or a lack of communication to Doug's point. It's taking that step back and really looking at what problem are you trying to solve? And maybe technology is, is part of the solution. Maybe it's not, maybe it's just a simple procedural change internally. And it, it you know, you, you just change, you know, a, uh, a simple direction on a flow chart for how this process goes and it, it totally, you solve the problem overnight. So mm. I think objectively looking at, at the problems you're trying to solve, I mean, I think that that's key. And uh, my one-liner would be... Um, culture eats technology for breakfast. So, (laughs) and I have seen this time and again inside of organizations where they say, we're going to go spend $5 million on technology X and it's going to solve all our problems. But fundamentally, that technology does not fit inside their organization because their culture will not allow it to fit. Yeah, because so their culture they, is making long lists of YouTube video streams. Right. Or, or <laughs> their culture goes, you know, it's so siloed that they try to bring this solution in and the network guys brought it to bear, but the security guys hate it. And they're never going to let it happen. You know what I mean? They're going to do yep. everything they can to shut that project down and kill it. Mm, and it will right. never be successful because the, the culture inside the organization is not unified enough for them to all get on the same page and all work together to solve the problem. And that, that is what I mean by that, that, that culture eats technology for breakfast. I, I think just to follow up on that, I mean, that's, that's right in keeping with my experience over the last 20, 22 years or whatever. I mean, there are so many situations where it's all about process change and, 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 um, organizational change and and even personalities with the people involved in different roles if the communications director hates the IT director you're not going to have a good you know time implementing new solutions that involve both parties and if you um, have a have a workflow issue like you said if you just change one little piece of a, of a day-to-day workflow that it's not even really technology related it can make a huge difference and so part of 
you know, having business acumen, getting back to that point, Phil, is, is knowing when to throw some technology at it and when not to, frankly. You know, we all have plenty of work to do. It's not like we're going to be jeopardized in our position by not implementing something when there's 10 other things we got to solve on any given day. So sometimes it can be a simple human personnel change or, or a suggestion to do things slightly differently um, that really doesn't even need to involve technology. Technology can screw so much up. I was I was on the edge the other day. I was ready to jump off. I, I almost was ready to get rid of everything and go back to carrier pigeons uh, for, <laughs> of communication. <laughs> I was going to sell carrier pigeons and and just go into you know a whole off offshoot of just that and get rid of telecom altogether and just say you know what I'm just going to become the niche carrier pigeon guy and um, just teach everyone how to do that for fun. <laughs> you know, did you know that there's actually an RFC for that? Uh, IP transit by avian carrier is the RFC. <laughs> I forget the, what the RFC number is, but um, it does exist. That's hysterical. <laughs> uh, and then I found out it's only one-way communication. I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, how does that work? It must be one-way communication. It must just fly home. And then, of course, that was it. <laughs> like showing you my intelligence level here. Um, all right, guys. I, I think this was great. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I would ask you what, what your final message is, but I think that is culture eats technology for breakfast. Um, I hate technology. And, and let's see, end users are our customers and uh, communication. So that, th- those are like the four main bullet points of this entire podcast, other than the fact that we made everything easy with SD-WAN. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, have a wonderful day. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Have a great day. 